Good morning, everyone. There's a lot of emphasis today on love. We see this in the calls for tolerance, the need for empathy, the pursuit of justice. And these are all good things. It's good that we are seeking to love in these ways. The problem is that we strive for these things while disconnecting them from the truth. Because without truth, we will not know how to love others. So what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, let me be clear. There there are lots of different types of love that we could be talking about. But today I'm talking about neighborly love. Just sort of willing the good of another. Well, how do we do that? How do we will the good of another if that's what neighborly love is? Some say you do this just by supporting whatever my attractions are, whatever I'm inclined to at this point in my life, and that's how you love me. But this cannot be our guidance. This cannot be the way that we understand love because our attractions, our desires, very easily and often are way off track. I mean, raise your hand if you've ever had a thought or a feeling to do something that's either illegal immoral or very hurtful to somebody else or maybe all three at once right we've all been there and anyone who's ever raised kids knows that willing the good of your children means half the time not supporting or engaging whatever it is that they're asking for at that moment no jimmy you cannot have a gallon of ice cream for dinner We know that to deny what is desired there in that moment is the loving thing to do for your child because of the truth about nutrition, what ice cream is made of, and the known side effects of an extreme sugar and fat overload. So here we come to an unavoidable principle. There is a deep, profound connection between love and truth. You cannot have one without the other. If you ignore the truth or refuse to even consider what it may be, you may not only fail to love in that situation, you may even end up causing great harm. John Paul II once said in a sermon, do not accept anything as truth if it lacks love. And do not accept anything as love which lacks truth. One without the other becomes a destructive lie. So now, imagine you are a parent and your teen daughter comes to you one day or maybe you're a friend at school and this girl comes to you one day and says that she thinks she's actually a boy and that she wants you to start using male pronouns for her and that she wants to start looking into gender reassignment surgery. What is the loving thing to do in that situation? Now there is an incredible amount of social and even governmental pressure telling us that the only loving thing to do in that situation is to support this desire, to encourage it, and even to seek out whatever treatments or surgeries are available. And our new president has very clearly signaled his support of this view by one of his executive orders that he signed on his very first day in office. And you can read about that in Father Matthias' bulletin article this weekend. But remember, the only way 
To truly love someone is to first consider the truth of the situation at hand. And it's no different when it comes to the complexity of gender dysphoria. In this as well, in order to truly love that person, to will the good for him or her, we must first ask, what is the truth of the human person? What is the truth of our bodies? What is the nature of sexual identity? And what's so difficult about these questions is they go beyond what science is capable of answering. See, science can analyze things like hormones, brain development, psychological trends, but gender dysphoria touches on things that go much deeper than this, questions that go far beyond the material and stretch into the realms of philosophy and metaphysics. Questions like, what is the nature of personhood? Is someone's person separate from their body? Can a female person be trapped in a male body? Or is personhood fundamentally integrated so that the body and the person cannot be separated? These are questions that science simply cannot answer. And what is truly at stake here is a conflict between two fundamentally opposed understandings of the human person. One view, the dualist secular anthropology, claims that the body is separate from the person. And combine that with the relativism that is also rampant in the world today. And you quickly end with the conclusion that one could certainly decide to change their body to meet the inner identity. But the problem with this dualist anthropology is it brings with it a host of other conclusions that are deeply problematic. When you separate personhood from the body it becomes very easy to justify taking innocent life. When you separate the person from the body, what becomes of most importance is someone's subjective experience of themselves. But what if someone doesn't have much self-awareness yet? What about the unborn? What about the elderly who are losing their faculties? What about the mentally disabled? I'm sure we've all heard the name Terry Schiavo. That was a woman who in the 2000s was in a persistent vegetative state. She was not responding whatsoever mentally, but she was still alive. And her husband decided he didn't want her around anymore. And so she was literally starved to death. Many people support all of these things. They make these arguments because they claim this is not really a person. They do not have awareness. And it's rooted in that dualist understanding of the human person. Furthermore, this separation, this dualist anthropology defies our human experience. You see, when the body is abused, such as in rape or in child sexual abuse, this has deep, long-lasting traumatic effects, not just on the body, but on the entire person. There's a unity there. The church from ancient times has rejected this dualist view of the human person because it leads to all of these horrific conclusions and because it defies our human experience. So you could say that the church rejects this dualist understanding because it is not true. So what is the truth of the human person? 
The truth is that the person and the body are fundamentally integrated. That your person and your body are profoundly connected. That you cannot separate the two. That our bodies are given to us by God. And that it is not just an outward shell, but so deeply united to the human person that it reveals the very person God himself has created. And this anthropological claim allows us to defend life at every stage. Even if someone's subjective experience of personhood is not present, such as with the unborn or the elderly or the disabled, we know they are still persons. Because wherever a human body is present, it is not just a body, but a person. This integrated anthropology, this Christian understanding, teaches us that sex is not just a biological function that happens to be pleasant but a profound act of the entire person, a total and complete gift of self, a living out of the promises made on the wedding day. This integrated anthropology is what forms the foundation of our understanding of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The human and divine natures of Jesus are so intimately connected in his person that they cannot be separated or divided. That's how close God himself wants to be with humanity. And he did that through Jesus. And what was it that allowed Jesus to be truly 100% human just like you and me? It was when he took on a body, when he became flesh and dwelt among us. But if dualism is correct, this separate understanding of the person and the body then we cannot claim that Jesus was truly human. The best, the most we could claim is that divinity took a human body like a shell. And if that's true, then Jesus was not truly human in the same way that you and I are. And if he wasn't human, then he did not redeem us. He could not. Because the only way for Jesus to take our sins, the sins of humanity upon himself, was if he himself was completely 100% human. So the truth of the body is that they, the body and the person are one. They're inseparable, created by God. And the body that you have now is the body you will have for all of eternity. When at the end of time, at the, at the final resurrection, you will be brought to life again and face the last judgment. So if this is the truth, then now let's return to the transgender question. What is the loving thing to do? If the truth is that the human person and the body are fundamentally integrated, then the loving thing to do is not to support someone in transitioning, not to support any kind of gender reassignment surgery or hormone treatment, but to lovingly and gently accept this person where they are and encourage them to take steps to accept the truth of the body and soul unity that God created in their person. And the Catholic Church is one of the few institutions today willing to defend this truth, even in the face of tremendous opposition. In 2019, the Vatican released a document stating many of these things I'm talking about in this homily. You may have heard that our own Diocese of Lansing just last week issued a public statement on how we ought to respond 
to some of these transgender questions. And so I'm going to quote from that statement. The church teaches that our differences as male and female are part of God's good design and creation, that our bodies, including our sexuality, are gifts from God, and that we should accept and care for our bodies as they were created. A person should accept and seek to live in conformity with his or her gender identity as given by God. The human person is a body-soul union, and the body created male and female is a constitutive aspect of the human person. Therefore, the Catholic Church teaches that the removal or destruction of healthy sexual and reproductive organs is a type of mutilation and thus intrinsically evil. Procedures, surgeries, and therapies designed to assist a person in transitioning his or her sex are morally prohibited. End quote. Now I know it can be hard to be faithful to this truth in the messiness of real life situations. Some of you have children who are wrestling with their gender identity, and I've heard of your struggles in knowing what to do and what to say while trying to love them through all of that. I've had a few young men and women in my office over the last few years who have asked me point blank if it's moral for them to have gender reassignment surgeries done. It's very difficult to lovingly speak the truth in those situations because you feel like you're not being loving. And when the whole world is calling you a hater, a bigot, transphobic, and intolerant, it's hard not to take some of those accusations to heart. But we must defend the truth of the human person no matter the cost. Because while you may experience social pressure over this, while you may lose your job or your friends or have your YouTube account suspended or your Twitter feed censored, what is more importantly at stake is the livelihood of a small and vulnerable group in our human family, our brothers and sisters, struggling with gender identity. And many of them are being encouraged to undergo extensive surgeries which are permanent and irreversible and lead to infertility and all sorts of other difficult side effects. Many transgender children are being put on hormone blockers to artificially suppress the body's natural development through puberty, even though this treatment brings with it all sorts of serious side effects and leads to permanent infertility. Veterinarians won't even do this to dogs until they mature because they know how unhealthy it is for them. And yet we're doing this to our own children. And all of this is despite the fact that close to 80% of children who experience gender dysphoria eventually abandon their confusion and grow into naturally sexually integrated adults if left untreated. And there have been studies done on people who have undergone sex reassignment surgery. And 10 years into their new sexual identity, most of these men and women still experience the same, if not worse, mental health struggles as before. And now there is this growing community of people who, after having gone through sex reassignment surgery, have decided to detransition back to their biological sex because they realized they had been caught up in a lie, led astray by a misguided love that was disconnected from the truth. 
Love without truth becomes a destructive lie. And this transgender ideology is one of the most destructive lies affecting our world today. And as Christians, we are called by love to replace that lie with the truth of our bodies and our sexuality. And we do not do this alone, but by the grace and the power of Jesus, he who is the way, the truth, and the life, he who is love itself, the one who promised that if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free.